shall come to bring us peace. A humble birth will shine on earth when our Savior born takes his first breath. A Prince of Peace, mighty God, he is here. The light has come. Glory in the highest the heavens sing as the earth rejoices for the joy he brings. Let us praise his holy name. Rejoice together for us he came. A divine scene unraveled that night as Mary and Joseph cuddled this child. This was a baby like no other. Swaddled in clothes, face uncovered, lay our king. The one who came to make us free. He came for the ones that have lost all hope. For his purpose was pure love give his life for our souls. We are no longer alone. I turn on my own microphone, huh? Praise God. Beautiful Christmas morning. So glad that you came out to be with us this morning. And um, it is all about God with us. That's what it is about. Praise God. <clears throat> well, you have to excuse me. I woke up a little congested this morning. So uh, we're, we're going to do some music, change the venue just a little bit. But let's start off with a few of the Christmas songs and then a time of worship. And, and the word and then we're going to have communion service this morning so anyway <clears throat> well come all ye faithful joyful and triumphant Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the King of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ. Sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation, sing all ye citizens of heaven above. Glory to God, glory in the highest, oh come let us adore you. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning, Jesus to thee. Your glory given. 
Lord of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. His name forever. We praise His name forever. We praise His name forever. Christ the Lord. You know, I love the, many of the Christmas songs, the Christian-based Christian songs. They're filled with such strong doctrine and truths of what our faith is all about. Amen. Praise God. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plain. And the mountains in reply echo back their joyous strain. Gloria in excelsis Deo. This jubilee, why your joyous strains prolong? What the gladsome tidings be, which inspire your heavenly song? Gloria in excelsis Deo. Come to Bethlehem and see Him whose birth the angels sing Come adore on bended knee Christ the Lord, the newborn King Excelsis Deo, Gloria, in Excelsis Deo. See within a manger lay, Jesus Lord of heaven and earth, Mary, Joseph, lend your aid with the sing our Savior's birth. Gloria in excess. 
excelsis Deo Gloria in excelsis Deo I know you may, I don't know if you know, but Gloria in excelsis Deo means to glory to the highest one or glory to God in the highest. Amen. That's what it's about. I want you to notice something. It's all about adoration. It's all about worship. It's all about giving glory to God. the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled joyful all ye nation tribes join the triumph of the sky with angelic Hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn King. Christ by highs. Heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Long desire, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as men with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth. Born to keep them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. 
I thank you for coming this morning. You may take a seat for just a moment, and then we're going to get into the, some worship, more some more worship. But I want us to I want to remind us of what our main focus is. You know, we're not here this morning just because oh, it's Sunday and we must go to church. We don't go to church. We are the church, but we do come together, and it's not an obligation to be here, but it's an opportunity to come. And our focus to me is found in the book of Matthew chapter two, beginning for the first seven verses there. And it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of, the king, of king Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, that, so that I too may go and worship him. I woke up in the middle of the night with this on my mind. I mean, it just came to my mind, my spirit, I guess, you know. And I never really put the two things together. But the Magi and Herod both knew that the right response in the presence of a king was to worship. The Magi said, Let us, tell us where he is so that we may go and worship him. And Herod replied, when you find out, let me know that I too may go and worship him. Christmas is the day that is set aside to realize that the king of the universe set aside his glory. We sang it in one of those Christmas carols. And as the writer in Hebrew says, he was made a little lower than the angels. What's a little lower than the angels? Man. The creation of man and woman. We're a little bit lower than the angels. The God of glory made himself a little lower and became man. And so, you know, uh, today Jesus is, is raised rightfully up right now, and he's sitting in, the, in, in heaven on the right hand of his father. He is the king of glory. We sing that so many times in our song, King of Glory, right? But he is, if, if you understand what I'm saying, he will soon fulfill the fullness of the promise and that he will come to earth and he will be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Somebody might say, well, he's already King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but he will come literally to earth and become King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
And so the fact that the Magi came to worship and Herod said he wanted to come and worship and, and we recognize that he is a king and a king is worthy of worship. I thought there would be nothing better on a Christmas morning service than to take a period of time and let's just enter into worship. And, 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 you know, if you know me, worship's not just music. It is the attitude of the heart. It is the attitude of where we are with, it's, it's personal with God. And so I want to take the next few minutes and worship, time of worship. In fact, I'm coming down off this platform and going right there because I'm going to worship the Lord. So feel free to worship him in whatever way you feel comfortable. And then afterwards, I'm going to come back with a word of some things that I hope that will encourage you that the Lord put on my heart a couple of weeks ago, and then we'll celebrate this day with communion, okay? King of all kings and Lord of lords, we worship you this morning. i 
Let your beauty be adored. Let your beauty be
do it this morning, Lord. you and we adore you this Christmas day as we come together to celebrate who you are Lord God and what you've done for us the greatest gift father that anyone could give you gave your only son Jesus thank you thank you seems so small and insignificant but it's all we know how to say except that we love you, we adore you, we praise you, we give you glory and honor, for it's rightfully yours. Now, Father, let us be joined together in this place in the unity of your spirit. And by your word today, let us be encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you just take a few minutes? I know you're scattered throughout the auditorium, but several people have come in probably since... You sat down, so why don't you take a moment and turn around and just go and greet somebody. We're not in a hurry, so go ahead, take a few minutes to do that.
Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 2, from verse 13 to 23. And it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to kill him, and when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. And then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, was utterly furious and sent forth and killed all the male children who were in Bethlehem and the surrounding region from two years old and under, based on the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. And then was fulfilled what was spoken by the, Jeremiah the prophet. In Ramah, a voice was heard, a grieving and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she would not be comforted because they were or they are no more. My message this morning is simply Christmas in the real world. And it's not going to be long, so don't worry. <laughs> but chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Matthew, Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. And so that is from his perspective. I mentioned this a week or so ago. Luke was writing to those who were of a Greek um, background. and Not necessarily that Jews wouldn't read it, but... He was uh, more uh, for those who were trying to reason things and understand them from a different perspective. But the first two chapters of Matthew's gospel account tells us about the birth of Jesus. And they tell us that God invaded our world as a baby born in a manger. You know, if I was God and I was going to send my son, it wouldn't be that way. <laughs> But aren't you glad he's God? <laughs> you know, we would probably write some script that just blew the sky wide open and, you know, thousands of thousands of angels sounding trumpets and whatever. But he came and he snuck into our world. And the angels announced it to shepherds, saying, Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And then we know that at a later time, the Magi crossed many, many miles and only to bring gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And you would think with that kind of script, all the wrongs in the world should have been made right at that moment. Correct? I mean, if it was a Hallmark movie, it would have been, right? <laughs> Everybody would have lived happily ever after, right? But, I mean, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. I mean, a Savior has been born. I mean, it sounds incredible, right? I mean, it, this is going to happen. It's going to make things right. I mean, after all, we were told his name was Emmanuel, which means God with us. But it didn't happen that way. And it doesn't happen that way, at least not in the real world. And please hear me out, because 
We just read the last half of, of chapter 2 of Matthew's Gospel. And in that half of the same story that has the birth of Jesus and the shepherds and the angels and all of that, uh, in the last half we discover that Herod, the king of Judea, goes into a jealous rage and he has all the male children in Bethlehem, a city, a town, two years of age and under, murdered. Jesus came to bring peace on earth and yet babies were killed. And if we were just to look at it from a natural viewpoint, we would say, why? And I think that the answer is found in maybe somewhat of an unsettling fact. And that is that there are some things Christmas did not do. I'm going to look at a couple of those things, but then I'm going to come back and show you a couple of things that Christmas did do. And by Christmas, I mean the birth of Jesus Christ, the coming of God made flesh, the incarnate one coming into our world. So what, what, what are the two things that Christmas did not do? And the first one is that Christmas did not eliminate evil. It did not. It's somewhat of a shock that not long after the birth of Jesus Christ, who we're told is good news for the world, and he's a savior, and, and he peace on earth, goodwill towards all men, all that kind of stuff. I mean, shortly right after that, we are confronted with the evil intentions of Herod. And Magi from the east, we know they come to Israel looking for the Messiah, the deliverer. A new star has signaled his birth, and in their searching, they stopped by Herod's palace in Jerusalem. I made mention of this last week. They went there because they figured a king lives in a palace, so, I mean, that's what palaces were made for, kings. So why not go to Herod, who was king, to find out where this new king was born? Surely it's in a palace somewhere, or some great place, or something like that. And when Herod heard that of the, what the Magi asked, and he immediately at that point, he went to the scribes and asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? And they told him immediately. It wasn't a secret. They knew because that people were looking for the Messiah. And so they told him. But Herod instantly in his asking had already predetermined that what he wanted to know was where this child was, being, was to be born and he was going to execute. He was going to get rid of the competition, if I could put it that way. Because he was not going to allow anyone to live who would have claim to his throne. And can I tell you, there's a Christmas message in that alone. Because we are the king of our lives. We are the king of the throne of our hearts. And he comes to offer himself as savior and king and we can either have a, a, a surrendering heart where we say, Lord, take the throne of my life, or we can be like Herod and said, I will rule the throne of my life. But that's another message altogether. In the same chapter, we have the innocence of Jesus and the corruption of Herod. In the same chapter, we have the salvation of God and the slaughter of innocent children. We have purely good and we have purely evil 
all in the same chapter. Jesus' birth did not eliminate evil in the world. Why? Because the world is still full of evil because the world is full of people who need a savior. Because all of us in our natural being, all of us are capable of evil. All of us are, you say, oh, I'm not capable of evil. Define evil. It's sin against the holy God. And Christmas did not eliminate that. Okay? The second thing that Christmas did not do is Christmas did not eliminate suffering. I wish it did. I mean, we, we all love the Christmas season. I mean, Pastor Josh has been saying for weeks, man, I love Christmas season. I love all, I mean, he gets all hyped up about Christmas, you know. I mean, and, and it's a wonderful time. I mean, the songs reflect that, the, the most wonderful time of the year, you know, all that kind of stuff. But yet, it did not eliminate suffering. I doubt that any of us can begin to imagine the suffering that those mothers in Bethlehem and those fathers in Bethlehem suffered and went through when their children were taken from them and murdered. I, I can't even imagine. I wouldn't even begin to try and... But Matthew includes a quote from the prophet Jeremiah to describe the level of pain of of this whole incident. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 18, we read it, and it says, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. It wasn't just like, oh well. No, there was great mourning that went on. It didn't just happen and the next day they woke up and went on with their lives. They carried this with them for a long time. And it says, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her choosing, children refusing to be comforted because they are no more. In other words, this grief they carried for such a period of time. Bible scholars will tell you that from what they know of history and, and, and the census and everything else, that at that time, that death sentence of two years old and under included probably 20 to 30 baby boys. Now in a town, we, we read in the newspaper or see on the news something, and we read of a, a, a family that's lost a you know, a child and a, or a family that died and, 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 and we think about how terrible a tragedy that is, but imagine a small community and all of a sudden 20 to 30 young children are taken away from that whole community. That's beyond anything my mind can comprehend. It, I really, it really is. I, I mean, I understand it here, but I can't feel it here. I can't understand it here. 20 to 30 mothers had their precious babies taken from them. There was intense grief and suffering. Jesus came into the world, and great suffering took place. But it didn't mean that his coming, that suffering would end. Some of you have experienced suffering in a holiday season. Maybe unexpected illness or loss of a job or loss of a loved one. Christmas did not eliminate suffering from the world. 
And I guess all in all, we could say that Christmas did not make the world a safe place. We would like it to be, but we know that it's not. But what did Christmas do? Because that's the focus. I'm, a, I'm just kind of down bottom line. What did Christmas do? What, what's the point in celebrating this day? What is my focus should be? Should I be looking at, well, this didn't happen, this didn't happen, this didn't happen. Can I tell you, it doesn't take a whole lot of, uh, it doesn't take a whole lot to find, what, to focus on what's wrong in the world, does it? So what did Christmas do? Christmas brought us hope. That's the first thing that came to my mind. Christmas brought us hope. Now some people will scoff at the idea as, a, as if it's a fairy tale or a wish. You know, like, like you know, they ask people, what, what would be like a New Year's? They'll, they'll ask people, what's your New Year's resolution? And they say, oh, I want peace on earth. <laughs> well, guess what? It's not going to happen until the Prince of Peace returns to earth. Come on now. You say, well, that's so negative. No, it's not. It's just the reality of, of who we are and the nature that we are by ourselves that without a Savior, if, if we didn't need a Savior, then God would not have sent his Son. But in Luke's Gospel account, I think it's interesting, and I have never seen this before until just a few weeks ago. I'm, you know, I've been listening to the... Christmas count on Matthew and, and Luke over and over and over and over and over again. I've been listening to it. I mean, uh, I've read it, been, been reading it, but I've been listening to it over and over. And it's kind of like, you ever get a song stuck in your head <laughs> and you can't get rid of it? You know, uh, my, my grandkids know, my granddaughters know, um, uh, Tracy's girls, um, one of our favorite Christmas movies, White Christmas. And I love it. And, and, and uh, the only problem is out of all those 15 songs by Irving Berlin, there's about six that if I hear the first line, I will not get that song out of my head for like a week. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, like yesterday we were there and, and making pizza and Justin and the girls, they were all started snow, snow. I said, no, don't do that because I'm going to hear that song like for a week in my head, you know. I mean, that's the way it is. Um, well, Luke records something in his Gospels that I had never taken before. I think it's one of those parts of the Gospel story of, of the birth and everything that we just skip past real quick. Like, how many of you read genealogies in the Bible? How many of you just go, and so-and-so begat, and you just skim down until it goes, and then they went on, and you know, there are treasures and nuggets that are in there, but I mean, you know, I think sometimes when we read the story, we, we skip this part, and I'm going to read it for you, but Luke, for some reason, records for us all the political and all the religious leaders in power. What's that got to do with the gospel? Well, I think he's trying to tell us something. So I'm going to put it up here for you to see. Luke chapter 3, beginning with verse 1 and 2. It says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, het Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee. Now, let me stop for a second and help you understand something. There were many rulers over a period of time named Herod. 
This was Herod Antipas, okay? And, and you think, and he was the tetrarch of Galilee. And you say, I don't know what a tetrarch is, and so we just skip right past that. Well, I'll help you. And, and a tetrarch is a ruler of a quarter of something. Herod the Great, when he died, his whole kingdom was divided in four parts among his sons. And so they, got a, they became a ruler of a quarter of the kingdom. So when you read that word tetrarch, it's not like they got a tattoo or something like that that says tetrarch, or, you know, or, or they had something strange about them. They were a ruler of a quarter of the original kingdom. And so it says here that Herod Antipas, who was, who was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, Tetrarch of Abilene, that's not Texas. <laughs> I'm just waiting to see if anybody's thinking that. Yeah, you were thinking that. Abilene, that's in Texas. It says, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Okay, Caesar, Pontius Pilate, governor, Herod, a ruler over this quarter of Galilee, that, and his brother Philip, who was a tetrarch over a certain area, and Licinius, who was a tetrarch over another area, and the high priesthood of, in the Jewish of Annas and Caiaphas. Why is all that in there? Have you ever, how many of you, I'll be honest, you just kind of skip past all that. You've never stopped to ask yourself, why is that in there? Because none of these people were upright, moral people. They were rulers who answered to no one but themselves. I mean, we just read, Herod passes an order to kill every baby boy under his, in his area of two years of age and under. I mean, he's not answering to anybody. So why is Luke keeping them in here? Why, why would he make note of that for us? I mean, here's Caesar, and here's a governor, and then here's kings underneath them, and then here's the high priest of the Jewish. What is all that about? He notes them, and then look at the last part of this verse, and I'll underline it for you. And it, and, and, uh, it says this, And the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And my point is simply this, that the focus of God's presence and God's activity is not found in the corridors of power. But there's more than that. Neither is God limited or bound by the powers that are on earth. Luke says, this is who the Caesar was. These were the kings. These were the governors. These were the high priests. And still, God's word came to John. God's word came in the midst of that. God's word was able to pass through all the government red tape and everything else to get to the man who needed to be the individual to have a word for the people of that day. That, I'm telling you, when I read that, I was like, yay, God. I was like, wow. I said, 
God, because I look out and I'm looking at the corrupt systems of the world and I see the things that are happening all around us and I see things beginning, moving to a climax, climactic point of, of, of something that we know that involves the return of Christ and, and, and the end of times. And, and But I, I say, but look at the evil that's reigning and this tells me it doesn't matter who's on the throne, who's ruling the White House or the Supreme Court or anything else. The Word of God can still come through and meet an individual and raise them up to be a voice for that day. That in, that's encouraging to me. Christmas, because of that, it gives me assurance that one day God will do away with evil. And here's something we need to remember, and that is, although the birth of Jesus Christ did not destroy evil, Jesus was born that evil might be destroyed. It didn't happen on that day, and it still hasn't happened, but one day it will. 1 John 3 and 8 tells us, Whoever practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was revealed, was manifested, was brought into the world, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. But listen, I don't want you to think that it's some point way out there. Yes, he will ultimately destroy it, and it will be gone forever and ever. But he is destroying evil today, one life at a time. Because as, feet, as people find a personal relationship through God, through Jesus Christ, their lives are changed and the work of the devil is destroyed. How many of you can raise your hands and be a witness to that? Amen? Amen. See, that's how Jesus is presently fulfilling the word that was given to the shepherds. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. For unto you it is born this day a Savior. That word's being fulfilled every time a person surrenders their life to Jesus Christ. That word by that shepherd to the shepherds is being fulfilled. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It's happening in that moment. And there will come a day when he takes his followers, Jesus takes his followers home to be with him to a place where there is no more evil. And ultimately, there will be that day when he returns to planet earth to eradicate evil forever. So Christmas brought us hope or brings us hope. But Christmas does something else. And that is that Christmas gives us assurance that one day God will do away with suffering. Christmas didn't eliminate suffering. But because Jesus was born, one day there will be no more suffering for those who call him Lord. Revelation 21 verse 3 and 4 tells us what eternity will be like for those who cling to Christ as Lord. He says, for then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he, 
Notice the personal part here. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will exist no longer. Grief, crying, pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. The previous things are the things that we, we experience now. The things that are in this life now. But those things are going to be wiped away. And because they're going to be removed and a new heaven and a new earth, there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering, none of those things. The curse will be removed because unto us was born a Savior. There's no way to go to heaven. There's no way to experience that without a Savior. And Christmas is about the celebration of the birth of the Savior of the world. That means when we look out at our world and we see suffering in it. Just last week... Uh, we have a company that comes in once a week and on Fridays usually and they clean the church. And I came over that night and I think many of you were with me, all right? No, my, Tracy was here and she's going, Daddy, nobody's been here to clean the church. And uh, so I, I text the guy in charge and everything and he says, I'm, he said, I, I thought they had been there this morning. I said, no, it's Saturday afternoon. Nobody's been here yet. Well, we find out. He said, I'm sorry. He said, but one of the ladies who's part of the cleaning crew, she just lost her house and everything in it. He said, when they found out, they took off. By the time they got there, there was nothing left. It was all gone. And my immediate response was not, well, how's the church going to get cleaned? My immediate response was, what does she need? And he said, well, she has some family and she has a place to stay and they've gotten her some stuff, but she could she's going to need everything. Furniture, pots, pans, clothes, everything. And... Uh, I said, well, please let me know if there's any way we can help. I didn't even ask about cleaning the church. I think, you know what? When somebody's going through something like that, that you know, things become crystal clear what's important, not important. And I just said, how can we help as a church? Can we do anything? He said, I'll let you know. So suffering isn't gone. And the appropriate question really is not why isn't it gone, but when will it be gone? At, at what place, at what point is that going to happen? When, Lord, will you bring to pass what you started with the giving of your son Jesus? When will you eliminate suffering for your people? Look, the disciples asked Jesus over and over again, when will your kingdom is this when your kingdom will become established? When will your kingdom be? They wanted to know when your kingdom comes, we know our suffering's going to end. That's what they were interested in. Isn't it good to know that after this life, we will go to a place that Jesus has prepared for us 
where there is no suffering and no pain. And because of that, Christmas does give us hope. And it does give us that hope that we can hold on to during troubling times. Because the idea that, you know, I had a guy in my early walk with Jesus as a teenager, he said, well, he said, I tried that Jesus thing. He said, but things didn't get better. They got worse. And I said, well, what were you expecting? He said, I, I was expecting all my problems to go away. I said, God didn't promise you Disneyland, you know. He, 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 he said, well, I, I thought it would be more like peaches and cream, you know. And I said, don't you know the cream will curdle sometimes? And the peaches rot on the tree. And he didn't understand that. I said, the Bible says that there's tribulation, troubles in this world. He said, but be of good cheer. I've already overcome it. In other words, it's coming, my friends. It's coming. And that's what we celebrate Christmas for is a reminder of that. So there was the time when a great question for a lot of people was, how can I know that God exists? I know when I came to Christ, that was the big thing, you know. How do we know that God even exists? And the real, to me, the reality of that question has changed. It's changed from, from how do we know that God exists to the fact that when God became flesh and dwelt among us, it changed to, is not God's, is he, is he, does he exist? But it's about God's presence. His, his very essence of being. It changed when the word became flesh. When God became flesh and dwelt among us and his name was Jesus. His birth changed the focus from does God exist to the presence of God. It doesn't, because the baby was born. The child was born. The virgin brought forth a child just as it had been prophesied. It's no longer does God exist. God proved himself that he does exist. Emmanuel, God with us. And to the naysayers who would ridicule the whole Christmas story, and this is the one that's been getting me the last few weeks because I've had some correspondence with some people online who are just pulling Christmas apart as Christians and going, we should not even recognize it. We shouldn't even do this. We should Let me tell you, to those who profess Christ and still want to try and find fault with celebrating the idea of Christmas Day, I want to say to them that Christmas is the time to ring out the news that God is with us. That is why he came. He said, for unto you this day, born in the city of David, is a Savior who will save you from your sins. Save the people from his sins. It is the time, instead of nitpicking at it and going, well, I think he was born in October. I thought he was born in March. I think he was... Oh my goodness, let's focus on the fact that the world has readjusted their calendars, has readjusted everything that we know in history by the birth of one individual, one person, and that person was Jesus Christ. He loves us so much that he came, he died, he was buried, and he came out of the grave that we might never doubt his existence and never doubt his presence. God initiated the giving of gifts. 
It wasn't some pagan holiday. God initiated it. For the scripture says, For God so loved the world that in this way that he gave his only son that everyone, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But I close with this statement. And that is this. That the gift has no value until it is received. If I put a gift under your Christmas tree and has your name on it, it says James from Pastor Bob, and you just leave it under that tree, doesn't matter what it's worth, the value is lost until you open it, until you receive it. And, 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 and I would tell somebody who would, who would want to mock Christmas or the idea of Christmas or whatever, I said, then the, you've, you've missed the value of it because it's a gift from God to remind us that he gave to the world that whoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. We have to receive it and we have to open it and we need to take hold of it. And that's what Christmas reminds me of. Yes. Father, I thank you that this day we celebrate the gift of your son, the giving of your son to us. God, it's so easy to look at the negatives in the world around us, but the message of Christmas rings out, a savior is born. Let us share that gift, that gift, not just on Christmas Day, but every day of every moment that we have breath in our bodies. Let us share that gift with someone, somewhere, that they too might be able to come and worship the King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to receive communion. Well, James... Have we decided how we're going to do it this day? You just going to pass it out? That's fine. While he's passing that out, we have open communion. You don't have to be a member of this church uh, to receive communion. But I've got a little something for you to watch while they're doing that. And then we're going to receive communion together. Christmas is the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And we celebrate that this day with receiving communion, the Lord's Supper.
a covenant meal that he had with his disciples. Praise the Lord. Has everybody been served that wants to be served? Thank you, James. When Jesus met with his disciples before he was crucified, The Bible says he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Just personally, the bread reminds me of that day. That day he was, cruci he was crucified. He was beaten. And he was dragged through the streets. He was mocked by the people. His body was broken. It wasn't taken from him, for the Bible says he laid down his life for us. Because he could have easily just said one word and legions of angels would have come and delivered him. So he says, take and eat. This is my body that is broken for you. Do it in remembrance of me. So when we take this bread, we are reminded of the great pain you know, I spoke of the pain of Christmas earlier, but there was that pain was carried to the cross, and he bore it for the world. He bore it for you and I. If he didn't, we would not be here today. So when we take this bread, let it be a reminder of the great price and the pain that was he, he carried for us that we might not have to carry it. Father, we thank you for the giving of your son, and we thank you, Jesus, that you willingly laid down your life for us. And we take this bread in remembrance of the great price that you paid, that we might be free. Amen. You can take the bread. And then Matthew records for us, he says, Then Jesus took the cup, and after he gave thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And then he says, I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This represents a covenant that was written by his blood. It wasn't signed with ink, it was signed with blood. But I reflect usually on that latter part. Not that one is better than the other, but for me, the bread is a backward look at what he did for us. But he says, I will not drink of this fruit until I do it with you in my father's house. 
So when we take the wine, we take the juice, I look forward and realize there's coming a day when we will be with him in his father's house and we will, he will lift the cup. I can see him lifting the cup and every believer in him lifting the cup and drinking it. So we take this and I say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord. We look forward to that day when we will stand with you and we will dine with you and we will take of this cup together. We look to that day and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. You can take the cup. Amen. I don't want to close without asking, is there anyone here that is in need of prayer? That the church can pray with you, join with you in prayer. If you're in need of prayer, and if you're able to do so, why don't you just stand right where you're at? Because that's what we're here for. We're, we're not cutting this short and running out fast because, you know, it's Christmas kind of thing. If We want to be the church. And if you have a need and you need someone to agree with you in prayer, whether it's a touch in your body or anything else, um, we want to pray for you. And we just say, just stand right where you're at and we'll pray for you. Otherwise, we're going to be dismissed at this time. Anyone need prayer? There's one on the back row right back there. Yes. With, with some, some ladies, would you go back there and pray for that individual? It may be a spoken need or it can be an unspoken request. doesn't matter. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we just pray for this one right now. We thank you, Father that you are the God who came into this world because we had a need. And through Jesus Christ, all those things are met, Lord. You said that if any two or three would agree touching any one thing, it would be done, that God, you would be glorified through it. And so we just agree in prayer right now for whatever the need is, Father, in Jesus' name, you already know. And we ask that you would move on her behalf and bring answer to prayer that need would be completely met in Jesus' name right now. It's that simple. In Jesus' name. The name that struck terror in the hearts of rulers through the ages, that strikes terror in the king of darkness, Jesus brings no fear in this place, for it is the name that is above every name. And we ask it in his name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand together and let's just be dismissed together. Let's just give God praise. Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for Christmas. We pray for all our brothers and sisters and friends who are traveling or have family members in. We pray, Lord God, that this would be a time of rejoicing, a time of celebration together. 
let your angels of protection be around those who are traveling, Lord God. And I pray for divine interventions to take place on this glorious Christmas day. That opportunities to share the good news that Christ was born to a world that needs a savior would be brought to pass and evil be destroyed in one life or another today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. I pray blessings upon each of these that came out today. Bless them, Lord God, not only this day, but in the days going forward. I pray for doors to be open. I feel impressed to pray that right now. Doors of opportunity that you don't even know are out there, that there are going to be doors of opportunity in the very, very, it's like I've sensed just in a very short period of time, there are going to be doors of opportunity open for some of you that are, that are just going to be unspeakable. You're not even going to believe it when it happens. God said, I'm letting you know now so that when it does happen, you'll know it's him. And the peace of God will govern your hearts when that moment comes. I thank you, Father. Bless them. And let the peace of God rest upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Hallelujah.